0: We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel.
1: This morning's passage can be found in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. So if you will turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 20, we're going to be reading verses 11 through 18. Again, John 20, verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, Mary Magdalene went and announced this to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her.
0: Thank you, Joy. Thank you, John, for leading us. I, I, I don't know about you, church. i just singing it as well. I wanted to rip my mask off my face. And... Uh, and throw it to the ground in a celebration that it is well with my soul. Plus, my face was tingly um, from the mask. But happy Easter. It is good to be gathered with you today. If you are a guest at Emmaus, man, it's our joy to have you here. And uh, we would love to be able to meet you after the service. We've been praying for you as we do our guests every week, that you would um, come to uh, know the love of Jesus to you, uh, and that you would come to love him um, through faith as well. We would love to talk to you about that or just talk to you more about our church. Um, If you have any questions, there's a connect table outside. It's a beautiful day. Join us on the sidewalk out there, and we'd love to meet you there. Or you can go to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect at forward slash connect, and at that page, uh, we have uh, ways to get plugged in with our small groups, ways to get plugged in with um, membership process, ways to uh, fill out a a digital uh, uh, connect card so that we can touch base with you later uh, this week, so we'd love to send you there as well and and connect with you, EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. Covenant members, it is a joy to be able to gather with you today Um, on on an Easter Sunday, With the memory of last week sitting in our living rooms watching Sam preach a sermon to us on our computers, what a joy to gather back together with you today in this place to sing, to pray, to confess, and to open the scriptures. I saw one of our members quote um, Eugene Peterson this morning on Twitter, and he said, the Bible is not a script for a funeral service, but it is a record of God always bringing life where we expected to find death. Everywhere, it is the story of resurrection. It is the story of God always bringing life where we expected to find death. Everywhere is a story of, re- of resurrection. One of the greatest stresses to me is when it comes time to preach at Easter, because I'm like, what passage do I go to? There's too many good ones on this. Just someone choose and assign it to me. That would like, relieve so much stress in my heart. And yet, to this year, I kept coming back to John chapter 20. And then as I began to study it, I thought to myself, wait, I know that we preached this in 2000, I believe, 17 in our series through John. Uh, but then as I was studying, I also realized I preached on this passage two Easter's ago. And if I did not remember that, I'm sure you did not remember that. And so here we go again. All right, I just decided to let's keep going. If this is what was on my heart, we're gonna keep moving forward with John chapter twenty. If we're to be honest, and I think that this is a pretty good place to try to do that at least, if we're to be honest, all of us doubt the resurrection in some way or fashion at some time. Some of us in this room aren't aren't believers. You don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You don't believe that there is a thing called sin that has separated you from the acceptance of God. You don't believe that you have need outside of yourself to make yourself right with God. You don't believe that Jesus lived perfectly, that he died on a cross in your place under the wrath of God. And you don't believe that he rose from the dead. Some of us in the room find ourselves in that place. Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians 15 to look to the evidence that is there, to look to the evidence and believe. The Scripture said that this would happen. Peter saw the resurrected Jesus. The apostles saw the resurrected Jesus. 500 others saw the resurrected Jesus. James, um, Jesus' own brother, saw the resurrected Jesus, his resurrected brother, and he went from unbelieving to believing. Paul saw the resurrected Jesus himself. Many of these people who saw him suffered and even gave their lives and were tortured brutally because they would not change their story of seeing the resurrected Jesus. Matthew 28, even tells us that the Jews, finding the tomb empty, paid the Roman soldiers extravagant amounts of money so that they would lie and say that the body was stolen. The Jewish leaders knew the truth, and they paid large amounts of money so that the soldiers would lie, so that the truth would not get out. The evidence is stacked within Scripture we see for a resurrected Jesus. And Paul would say, believe. Some of us in this room do believe. We have believed in a resurrected Jesus. We have believed Jesus is the Son of God. We have placed our faith in this Jesus. And yet, at times, there are moments in our lives where doubt seems to sneak in. There are moments where we ask the question, is this really real? We have intellectual doubts, asking questions like, did he really die and rise again? Could that really have happened? We have faith doubts, right? Do I really trust that Jesus was God's Son and that he forgives me? I believe it's true, but but do I really, I believe it's historically true, but do I really believe this? Like, do I really put trust in this? Do Do I really put my hope in this? I'm just not sure if I do. Some of us have emotional doubts. We believe it historically happened. We have placed our faith in it. We simply don't feel like it's true. We don't feel like he loves us. We don't feel like he wants us. We don't feel like he's forgiven us. Days go and we feel separated and distanced and lonely. There are moments in all of our lives, every one of us in this room, where there's doubts of this. And the beauty that I see in John chapter 20 is that we find ourselves amongst a long line of doubters. We're not alone. There have been many others who have doubted with us. But more importantly than that, We're not alone because John 20 shows us a resurrected Jesus who meets those who doubt in the very place of their doubt. John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. You have the scene. Mary's coming to this tomb. The Other gospels tell us that there's other women with her, but here John focuses on her alone. She's coming to the tomb with these other women, and she's coming to anoint the body of Jesus. This is the third day since he has died. Jesus has told his followers that on the third day he would rise again. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he said, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 17, 22 through 23, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. Mark 8, 31, Jesus began to teach them about that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. John chapter 2, verse 19, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. John chapter 10, verse 18, he said, no one takes my life from me, but I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Matthew 26, 32, he says, but after I am raised up, right? But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus had told his followers time and again what was about to happen. I will be betrayed. They will kill me. After three days, I will raise up and I will meet you in Galilee. And here we are, day three, and where do we find his followers? Not in anticipation of his resurrection. They're not excited that it's day three, they've not been looking forward to Sunday. D. A. Carson says they were not slapping each other on the back and exulting. I can hardly wait till Sunday. Right? They weren't in the upper room having a party, eating wings and drinking drinks and saying, tomorrow's the day. It's been a sad day today, but tomorrow he's back. There's no anticipation. You see this in the fact that the disciples are still hiding in the room and the ladies have now come to the body with oil to anoint it so it would not stink because they had no belief it was about to rise from the dead. They're anointing a decaying body and expecting it to continue decaying. Their doubt and their disbelief had seized their hearts. In John chapter 20, they are hiding in fear. In Luke 24, they're confused about what's just happened. In Luke 24, they also are in disbelief that Jesus is dead, and they were frustrated that they'd given three years of following Jesus, and he wasn't who they thought he was. In Mark 16, they're secluded in grief and weeping for their dear friend who just died an unjust death. Herman Bobbing says the disciples' state of mind was far from believing. They were despondent dejected, in great doubt, and initially unwilling to believe the report of the resurrection. We find ourselves in a line of doubters. So can you imagine the emotions that must have been in the women when they show up, expecting to find the body there, expecting to treat the body, and the ladies show up, and the tomb, uh, the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, and Jesus is not there. They they begin to panic. They they don't know what's going on. Mary turns around and she runs back to Peter and the other disciples and she does not get to them and go, he's gone, he's risen. It was all true. That's not what she says when she gets there. She gets back and she says the only possible logical thing she could think of is they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Weeping most likely, sobbing, in distress, worried. Worried. And grief, not celebrating that it was true, but confusion and doubt and wonder, where is he? Who has taken him? The resurrection could not possibly have been the answer for what she witnessed. Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, which I love because the other disciples, John, who's writing this, right? Peter and, we'll just call him the other guy, were running towards the tomb and the other guy outran him. Just got to throw that detail into the story. John outruns him and gets to the tomb first, but when John gets there, he runs full speed and he just stops and he looks in. Peter doesn't stop. Peter just barrels right through him and runs straight into the tomb and sees Jesus gone. Verse 5, And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up and in place by itself. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. So now John goes in as well, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the Scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So John goes, to this point, we didn't get it. He told us and we didn't understand. He told us what would happen, and we just, it didn't make sense to us. We didn't believe it. We didn't comprehend it. But when I saw him gone, I believed. John is the first account of belief, of faith in the resurrected Jesus. The first among a long line of those who would have faith in this Jesus to look upon the empty tomb and go, I believe he rose. And then it tells us, and they went home. I'm like, what what happens in between that? Is John trying to convince Peter he's risen? Is John turning to Mary and to the women and trying to convince them that he is risen? Is John simply in so much bewilderment at what has just happened, almost awe at what has just happened, he's he's almost silent, speechless. What, What do I do with this? John chapter 20, verses 11 and 13. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So Mary's back. Perhaps John has talked to her and told her he is risen. Perhaps she's not heard that. We don't know, but Mary's back at the tomb, and she's again looking in. And this time when she looks in, there's two angels sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet of where the body was. And I don't know how familiar you are with scripture when people see angels, but it typically terrifies them. And we have no account of that here. Perhaps it's her distress. Perhaps it's her grief. Perhaps she's a little bit out of her mind in the midst of what is going on. She's so distraught. Perhaps the angels are taking on a slightly different tone with her. And she sees them and they ask her a question why are you weeping? Now, perhaps when you read that, your first read of it was more like, why are you weeping? He's not here. But we don't see that here, and we don't see that with Jesus in a moment who asks her the same question. It appears to be more of an intrigue, a question, a drawing out of the heart. Why are, why are you so sad right now? You tell me. And Mary tells them. She says, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing. But she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping, and whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She's peering into the tomb. She sees the angels. The angels ask her, why are you weeping? She goes, Jesus, this, the, the one whom I love, who I followed, he's, he's missing, and I don't know who's taken him or where they've laid him. And she turns around in grief. She turns around in sorrow. She turns around still in doubt. And when she turns around, Jesus is standing there. And if you're watching this as a movie scene and you see this take place and she turns around and you see Jesus standing there, your heart goes, Yes! And then you see on her face, she doesn't recognize who he is. And you're like, Wait, what? You'd almost expect her to turn around and Jesus is like, Hey, I'm back. Why are you crying? I'm here, look, I'm here. She turns around and he's standing there and she doesn't recognize who he is. Some think perhaps he looked different, but others saw him and recognized him. Perhaps it's her grief, her tears, she can't even clearly see him. We know in Luke 24 that later that day he's walking on a road with two of his followers and he keeps them from recognizing him. Says they did not recognize him because he would not allow them to yet. Perhaps that's what's going on here. She thinks he's a common gardener. And he speaks to her. And he says, woman, it's an affectionate term, by the way, don't be offended by that. Woman, Sweet lady, ma'am, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Who are you looking for? Do you see his questions drawing out from her heart? The very longing that she has. Jesus does this, by the way, all throughout the Gospels. He asks questions who draw draw out the longing of the hearts of those he's caring for. And Jesus speaks to her sadness. He could have shown up and been like, ta-da, I'm back. He could have come come out with with smoke and with lightning and, and the earth shaking as he showed back up on the scene. He could have come out flexing and he had just conquered death. He had just conquered sin. He is the risen king of the universe, the son of God, and he shows up and the first words he says are woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? So often we try to silence the mourning and the grief of people with comfort. And Jesus lets her sit there for a moment. He draws out her heart. Woman, why are you weeping? He gently, tenderly, with great care, loves her. In verse 15, she says this. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She goes, sir, if you're the one who stole the body, just just tell me where he is. I won't press charges. I won't make this a big deal for you. I won't even demand that you go get the body. I'll go do the work. Just tell me where he is. I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Tell me where he is and I'll go get him. And apparently at this moment, she's turned away from him. And Jesus simply calls out her name, Mary. At the sound of his voice speaking her name, belief and faith are birthed. And she turns and she cries out, teacher. And apparently she falls into his arms or falls at his feet or grabs him and is holding tightly. Because at some point here then he says, do not continue to cling to me. It's not time for that. I'm here. I'm still here for a while. I've not left yet. There's work to be done. Do you remember, Christian, when you heard the resurrected Christ call your name? When you heard the story of the gospel, the story of a resurrected Jesus, the Son of God, and faith lit up in your heart, something sparked within you that said, yes, I believe that. It was as if Him himself was saying to you, Jonah, believe. Mike, believe. Julie, believe. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, but go tell my brothers. Look what he says. Verse 17. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Right, I'm still here. But go to my brothers, say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Jesus' first marching orders, post-resurrection. Mary, go, tell them. But notice how he words it and who he tells her to tell. Go tell my brothers, my sisters, that I'm about to go back to my father, who is their father, to my God, who is their God. For three days, the disciples have been hiding out in doubt and fear. Most of them ran when Jesus was arrested. Many of them fled for their lives. Peter outright denied him three times. They weren't there for him in his last darkest days. And now they completely forgot and ignored or didn't understand everything he had taught them about his resurrection. And they're now gathered as a group of doubters in a room. And the news is coming to them. Jesus is not dead. What he said was true. He's alive and he's coming. And if you are a shame-ridden, anxious, afraid person like I have been most of my life, those are terrifying words. He's a back and he's coming for you. That would be a different translation. He's gonna find you in your doubt and in your fear and in your ignoring what he said, he's coming. Be prepared. And Jesus says, Tell my brothers. I accept them. I have not cast them off. In the midst of their doubt and their fear, they are my brothers. And I'm going to my father who is still their father. And I'm going to my God who is very much still their God. Tell those doubting, fearful, ignorant people they're still accepted, they're still adopted. Of my family. Go tell them. I love in Mark's gospel, which is told from the viewpoint of Peter, that Mary's also told to tell them and tell Peter, the very one who had denied him. So Mary Magdalene goes and she tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Now the rest of chapter 20 is the same story happening over and over, in a way. Jesus appears to all the disciples in a locked room. And he doesn't come in knocking down locked doors, busting into the scene in a rage, angry at them for their doubt, angry at them for their failure, angry at them because they didn't get it right. Jesus shows up in the room and he shows them his hands. And he shows them his feet and he greets them with the greeting, Peace. Don't be afraid. For those of you who are my brothers and my sisters, I only bring peace. Peace. Jesus leaves that gathering. One of the followers of Jesus wasn't there, a man by the name of Thomas. And Thomas refuses to believe. He's like, No, no, guys. I know, the moment I go, oh, really? Yes, Jesus is back. You're going to be like, psych. I'm not believing that. I'm not falling for that trick. I'm not not buying into that. John 20 tells us eight days later, Jesus comes to meet Thomas. It's intriguing to me that he left him in his place of doubt for eight days. But then he came to him. And when Jesus shows up, he doesn't lecture Thomas. Rather, he goes, Thomas, I know the very thing that you need. You need to see this. You need to see this. Touch it. Thomas believes. And in John chapter 21, Jesus shows up to Peter. It's not the first time he's shown up to Peter, but it's the first time we've heard the conversation. And he comes back to Peter and he restores Peter. Peter, do you love me and feed my sheep? The very one who had denied him, Jesus restores. The resurrected Jesus, who has just conquered sin and death and will soon ascend to the throne of the universe in heaven, shows up on the scene not making himself huge or intimidating or angry, but tenderly speaking to doubts and meeting people where they were at in their doubts. All of chapter 20 happens in and around Jerusalem, which I find so beautiful because what had Jesus told them would happen? He said, when I rise again, I will go before you to Galilee. And then he tells Mary to tell them, meet me there. But where does Jesus meet them? Not in Galilee, because they haven't gone yet. They're stuck where they're at. And so rather than going to Galilee and looking at his watch and waiting for them to show up, and then when they're not there on time, he leaves and forgets them. Jesus comes to where they are. He meets them in the very place of their doubt and their confusion and their paralysis. And he cares for them there. And then he sends them. He sends them. He tells Mary, and then go tell the other disciples these things. He tells the other disciples to go tell others. He tells Peter, go feed my sheep. He constantly appears. He speaks words of acceptance and peace. He calls them to faith in him. And then he sends them to proclaim these things to others. This is his plan for saving the world. That those whom he has appeared to, who have believed in him, who have heard him call call them by name, would then be sent to tell others this news. So unbeliever, those of you gathered in this room today who have not placed your faith in Jesus... You don't believe that he's been risen from the dead or you don't believe your need to have faith in him or you've been doing everything on of your own to try to please God, to earn your acceptance by God. Nothing you have ever done or ever could do can earn God's acceptance. Your sin has in fact made you his enemy worthy of his wrath. But praise God that he was rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for you. Ephesians chapter two. Therefore, he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life because you couldn't, to die a sinner's death so that you would not have to, to rise from the dead conquering death because you could not. And he ascended to heaven where he sits today at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession on on behalf of those who believe. And all it takes to be able to step into this world of acceptance by your creator God, to be made righteous by your creator God, to be a part of his family and given tender acceptance and love and welcoming into his family is for you to simply look to Jesus in faith and believe. He is the resurrected king of the world, the son of God, who died to save you and rose to give you life. Would you believe today? Would you join a long line of us who have stepped from unbelief into belief and experienced the life that comes through faith in Jesus? And to the unbelievers in the room, or to the believers in the room, those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, I pray that you would remember today, afresh, anew, the day that he called your name. that moment that you began to step into faith and believe, I pray that you would be reminded that you are Christ's brother and sister, that you are God's daughter and son, that you are adopted into his family and accepted by him unconditionally and eternally because of nothing that you have brought to the table, but only because of the resurrected Christ who has offered you life. Believe that today, afresh and anew, and may your faith be sparked. Look into the empty tomb, and like John, believe. He is no gardener. He is not dead. He is, in fact, very much alive. He is not angry and disappointed and frustrated with you. He has come to care for your grief, be patient with your questions, and give assurance to your doubts. Christian, he has called you by name. He is alive. And today he sits at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession on your behalf, literally speaking to the Father on behalf of you. One day he will come again for his bride, for his church, for those of us who believe. So today as a church, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate Communion. We take this bread and we break it and we eat it and we take this juice and we drink it. But we don't celebrate it merely because Christ died. Today we celebrate communion because the body that was broken did not stay broken. And the blood that was shed, that was spilt on our behalf, once again flowed through the veins of our Savior. Today we celebrate communion because our only hope of acceptance by God is that he did not only lay his life down on the cross, but that he rose again and is very much alive today. And so today we celebrated a dying Savior, a dead Savior, because we get to celebrate a risen Savior, an alive Savior. Church, he is alive. And my invitation to you today is to come and eat, feast, and the celebration of his life. If you're an unbeliever, we would ask that you not come take this. And By unbeliever, I mean if you have not placed your faith in the resurrected Jesus as the only hope for the forgiveness of your sins and acceptance by God, my invitation to you is instead of coming and taking this bread and this juice, stay in your seat. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation for you from us. Our invitation to you is not to take bread from a grocery store and grape juice, but instead to take Jesus, to look to Jesus and believe. And if you don't know what that looks like to step into faith, to step into belief, you don't know what to do next, you're like, I hear this, I believe that, I want that, but I don't know what to do with that, then we invite you to ask us. You can ask anyone that you see walk past here. By by the church walking past here, they're telling you, I believe in the resurrected Jesus, I have faith in him, and I can tell you about him. Ask them what it means to have faith. Or find me. I'll be outside on the sidewalk. I'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to step into faith. Church, he is alive. He is risen. Come and eat. Let me pray for you. And then you'll be dismissed to come. You'll stand. We start at at the front row. You'll exit to your right. You'll come down. You'll receive hand sanitizer here on this end. And then you'll walk over. You'll be given bread and juice. You can go back to your seat to take. And we'll conclude with one more song and our benediction. Jesus, I thank you for the joy today of gathering together and celebrating a resurrection Savior. All that we do would be meaningless if you were not alive. Your very life has given us life. We have risen with Christ through faith. So we thank you for that today we celebrate your death through communion, because we also celebrate your life through resurrection. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com